Um, if you have one in front of you, I would ask you or invite you to open uh, to that portion of scripture we read earlier on in Acts chapter 3. Acts 3, and from the beginning of the chapter, Acts 3. Now I'm sure you will remember that last week, last Sunday morning, we looked together that, uh, at what was important in the life of the church. We looked at this sort of first a New Testament congregation, didn't we? And we, we sort of were staggered by their uh, devotion. Now, do you remember they were, they were devoted to four things? They were devoted to uh, the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the, the breaking of bread. And they were devoted to prayer. So I guess what you could say is that last week we looked at the priorities of a healthy church. Okay? Well, as part of that section that we looked at last week, we read, almost in passing, that the church not only prioritized certain things. We read in passing that the apostles of this time, the apostles in the, the first century, that they performed lots of miracles. Luke tells us in, in passing in that section that these apostles performed many wonders and miraculous signs. Many wonders and miraculous signs. And so, what happens this morning, what happens today, is we sort of take this step from Acts chapter 2, and we move into Acts chapter 3, is, is Luke gives us an example, an example of one of those miracles, doesn't he? You know, he, he's given us and shown us the, the priorities of the church, and he's said in passing that all these miracles were performed at this time. Now what does he do? Well, now, in the healing of this crippled beggar, Luke shows us an instance. He shows us an example of one such miracle. And as we look at this account today, this account of Peter healing this, this, this man, yes, of course, we're going to think about the, the physical healing that we've got here, and we're going to look at the details of that. We are going to do that. But I think on top of that, we've also got to consider the spiritual parallel, don't we? When we look at the physical healing, but also I think we've got to consider the, the spiritual healing that is available in Jesus Christ. So with that said, let's make a start. And let's consider the first of our three points this morning. And that is the attention of the people of God. The attention of the people of God. Okay, now, some authors, some uh, novelists, they are renowned for their unnecessary artistic flourishes. Aren't they? Some, some authors, they're renowned for the way that they kind of, I guess, maybe needlessly uh, embellish and elaborate the story that they are trying to tell. Well, Luke begins this chapter here, and he does so in a scene. It's a fantastic scene, isn't it? He begins it with this wonderfully intimate uh, picture, because you've got a scene where there's two guys, all right? You've got two friends. You've got two Christian brothers, Peter and John, and they're walking through the streets of Jerusalem together, right? So let me ask you, do you think that is just a, 
an artistic flourish. Do you think that that is an insignificant or a, an unnecessary detail for the story? It's not, is it? At least I don't think so. Because you see, Luke gives us, follow this, Luke gives us not only the time, the precise time that this takes place, but Luke also tells us uh, the, the location as well. That these guys, it's not just a sort of throw away a comment that these guys were sort of walking together nicely through the streets. Look, they are walking where? They are going to the temple. And they are going to the temple at the time of prayer. Now, do you see what the author is doing? Do you see what Luke is doing? Luke is underlining for us as we read this the, 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 the piety, if you like. He's underlining for us the, the spiritual vigor. You know, the spiritual vitality of these first New Testament Christians. These were guys who were observing formal worship. These were guys who were regularly attending decided times of prayer. Okay, but what's the point? What are we seeing here? Well, we're seeing that these were people who were focused on, these were people whose attention was on God. More than that, I tell you, we're seeing here in this miracle that God uses people like that. You see, God uses those who are focused on him. And I think there's a, a vital spiritual lesson for us to learn there, isn't there? You see, I think it's, it's probably true. You can disagree with me later if you think it's wrong. But I think it's very possibly true that all Christians, all of us in here who are Christians, that we do desire to be used by God, don't we? Now, even if we are not in a great place spiritually today, you know, and even if you've got really dig down deep into your soul, it's true, isn't it, that we do still want to be used by him. We still want to be useful to God. Well, what we see in this miracle here is that God uses people who are all out for him. You see, God uses the people here who, who are worshipping him, living for that, people who are regularly seeking him in prayer. So we have to, if we have been backsliding, we have to come back to God. Because God uses those who are living out the faith. So Peter and John, these are guys focused on God. There's a second thing to the attention of the people of God. Because we see here, they're not just focused on God. But perhaps even more clearly, we see that they are focused on this needy man. Aren't they? They're focused on the needy man. Now, I'm sure we have um, all seen it in this city or others that, that, that when a beggar or a, a homeless man is sort of sitting on the pavement, okay, and he's sitting there to ask for money, that very often that homeless person will locate himself uh, beside a cash machine, right? You've seen that, I'm sure. That very often a homeless person or a beggar will locate themselves beside maybe even a shop. The entrance to a shop. Now, why do they do that? I guess 
should be pretty obvious why they do that, uh, simply because there's more chance of passers-by having some extra cash, extra dough at a cash machine or at a shop. Well, here, as Peter and, and, and John are on their way to the temple, what Luke tells us about is an encounter, doesn't he? And he tells us of an encounter with a crippled man. And he is a crippled man on his way to the the temple. Now, why is he doing that? You're a crippled man. Why are you going to the the temple here? Well, it's because this idea of almsgiving and this idea of helping out those who were destitute and those who were poor, that was a very, very sort of um, important, essential element in in Judaism or Jewish religion at the time. So I guess you could say, folks, that this idea of sitting at the temple gate was the first century equivalent of the guy sitting at a cash machine or sitting at a shop. He was there because there was more chance at the temple gate of this guy being given some cash. It's as simple as that. And this beggar here, Seeing these two men draw near, seeing Peter and John draw near, he calls out to them, doesn't he? And he shouts out to them for money. But what happens next, I think it's far from the ordinary. Because Peter and John, they don't just do what you and I might do. And they don't just wander past this guy. And nor do they do, even if when we're feeling generous, we might flick some coins into the guy's cup or his hat. Peter and John don't do that either. Do you see what they do? Peter and John stop. And they turn to this guy, and this is the important thing. They focus entirely on this guy. I mean, Luke is... A pains to draw out. He says that Peter and John, they look directly at this guy. The ESV's got the, uh, I think the ESV says that they directed their gaze at him. It's this idea that they focus on this man. That they zero in on this cripple. And not just that. Have a look. They also demand this guy's attention too. Yeah, they focus at him, but they also call for him. Look at us, look at us. So what we've got here is that it's not a sort of you know, a situation where first century Christians are helping this man in a sort of automatic, unthinking way. This is deliberate. More than that, this is a thoroughly personal encounter that we've got here. A thoroughly personal encounter. And surely that... You know, that sort of scriptural emphasis. Surely that should infiltrate our own approach to those people that we meet who are in need. Yeah, of course, those who are physically poor. But perhaps especially those who are in spiritual need. That when it comes to, I don't know, let's say our witnessing. That rather than, than always being involved in faceless evangelism. You know, that idea that maybe what we do is we sort of eh, flood a neighborhood with a tract or something like that, something faceless. That rather than that, that, 
that we do what we've got here. That we engage in personal encounters with, with those people that we, we meet who are in need. That we, let's say, we identify one, two, maybe three people in our lives. People who are in deep spiritual need. And what do we do? We focus on them. You know, we identify people in our lives in spiritual need and we direct our gaze towards them. That we resolve even this morning to pray for those people more than we have previously prayed for those people. That we direct our gaze at them and we think, I'm going to involve myself in their life more than I have done. I'm going to show them love more than I have done. That we do as Peter and John do here. And we stop. We stop at the people in need and we direct our attention to them. So you've got a situation in Acts chapter 3 where the Christians, where the apostles are focused on God. But they're also very clearly focused on people with need. Okay. The attention of the people of God. Secondly, let's consider um, the alliance of God and man. The alliance of God and man. So let's, let's, let's uh, get back into the situation of the miracle. What have we got? Well, Peter and John have been walking, let's say in the sunshine, okay, to the temple. And uh, they've encountered this man. And they have fixed their eyes on this guy. And I think perhaps because of that, we've got a situation where the beggar, this cripple, is, is clearly expecting something from Peter. He's expecting something. And I think he's also expecting someone maybe special, something out of the ordinary. I think, but of course what, what happens is that the beggar gets more than he was bargaining for. Because in this uh, incredibly famous statement, Peter looks at the beggar, doesn't he? And he says, silver and gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you. And what does he do? He heals. There's a miracle. He heals the cripple. But friends, I think that the the foremost lesson here, you know, the number one thing, the chief thing that we are supposed to take from this miracle and extract here, is that the power to heal this crippled man. The power, it comes not from Peter, does it? The power, the strength to heal this man, that power that comes from Jesus Christ. Now we see that as clear as day in verse 6. In verse 6, because before bringing this guy to his feet, what does Peter do? Do you see what he says? Peter invokes that power of Jesus Christ. Doesn't he? You know, before he reaches down to him, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. In the name of Jesus, walk. This, what you've got here, is a demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ. But having said that, I don't want you to get me wrong. This is not the, this is sort of Peter's Yuri Geller moment. This is not that sort of, Peter the Apostle here is sort of playing at being pen or teller or whatever. It's not kind of abracadabra, walk. It's not that 
in the name of Jesus is some sort of, you know, magical formula, magical words. It's not that. But it is an exaltation to show that Peter is not the one bringing strength to this poor man's limbs. It's not about Peter. This is about the strength of Jesus Christ. You see, just think about this one with me for a moment. See, at the beginning of the sermon, what did we note that Peter, sorry, that Luke had said about the apostles? At the beginning of the sermon, remember? Luke said that these apostles, they performed many miracles, right? So they performed loads and loads of different miraculous wonders and, and at different sites. Now, which one does Luke choose to record here? Now, he could have chosen loads, okay? There's loads, there's many, many miraculous things. Why choose this one? Well, he chooses this miracle because it is almost identical to the one that Jesus Christ himself performed in his earthly ministry in Luke chapter 5. It's almost identical to, to Jesus' miraculous act when he, Jesus, healed the cripple and made him walk. So do you see what, what the point is? Do you see what Luke is saying here? The Jesus that was active in Luke chapter 5 in his earthly ministry, that same Jesus is active here in the church. He's active here through his people. Yeah, he's gone to glory. And yes, Luke's saying he has, we know, ascended to the right hand of the Father, but that does not change his power. This healing, this immense and miraculous healing, it is fully, completely, and utterly the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus heals the man. That said, I think there is another side to the healing of this cripple that should encourage us and that we should look at. Because although Christ heals the man, Christ's servant is involved. Isn't he? Now, do you see that? Just, if you would, if your Bibles are open, have a look at the text with me. We've got in verse 6, this invoking, this saying, this invoking of the, the power of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. We've got that in verse 6. But then have a look at the next verse and look what happens next. Peter invokes the name of Jesus. Next thing, what does he do? Peter reaches down. You know, Peter takes the man by the hand. And Peter helps him to his feet. Okay? So you've got Jesus healing, no question. Jesus makes the man walk. But Peter's right hand is extended in assistance. One commentator I read this week, he sums it up perfectly. He says, we must see that the power was Christ's, but the hand was Peter's. The power was Christ, but the hand was Peter's. And I think surely that has much, much to say to us as a congregation this morning, doesn't it? You know, we should see here, yes, the need to, for a sort of renewed dependence upon Jesus when we are trying to meet and help those in need. 
But on top of that, surely we also see that the readiness that should be ours when Jesus Christ has done that saving work. I guess if you like, it's almost like we're, we're back in Jonah again, aren't we? There's that sort of contrast here with, with Jonah's horrible, uncaring attitude to the people that God has saved. Unlike that. Peter's actions here, they show us that we should be ready as a people to, to spiritually assist those that, that God heals. You know, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to reach down and help the, the spiritually immature? Are we ready to, to help, let's say, those who are newly saved? Are we ready, willing to help them with their first steps on the, on the road of righteousness? Folks, I think there's lots here to ponder. We have a situation where Christ and Christ only heals. But in his wisdom, he desires the involvement of his people. There's an alliance here. An alliance between God and man. Okay, what have we seen so far in the streets of Jerusalem? Well, Peter, John have acted in the power of Christ and then they've helped this formerly crippled man to his feet. Thirdly, and finally, I want us to consider the abruptness of the healing. The abruptness of the healing. Now, I'm sure that most of you in the congregation here, at one time or another, you've been in a household where a baby is beginning to walk. Okay? So you know that long, uh, drawn out, protracted process. You know, the baby will eventually begin to crawl. And then there'll be that sort of momentous moment that we seem to make an awful lot about where the baby will pull itself up on a sofa. And then, you know, maybe a few days or a few weeks after that, the baby will take its first step and then hit the ground. And then after that, a few more steps. And eventually the baby will be able to walk eh, unaided. And it's the same with physiotherapy, isn't it? Physiotherapy after an accident, let's say. You know, from a wheelchair to walking freely, it's a long, long, protracted, drawn-out process. Well, folks... Please just consider this miracle. Please just consider the entirely different situation that you have got in front of you just now. Because you see, as Luke recounts this scene in Acts chapter 3, do you know what the stress is at the end? Do you know what the, the emphasis is? It is on the completeness. And it is on the immediacy of this healing. This guy, this cripple, is healed by. He is healed abruptly. He is healed immediately. Look at verse 7. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. That's amazing. But is that not all the more amazing when you see it in light of what we've just been told about his illness? You see it? You know, this guy has always been in this situation. He's a cripple. But he's been a cripple since birth. Okay, he's never known anything other than this disability. Not only that, look, the guy had to be carried. He had to be carried everywhere. 
He had to be carried to the temple gates. Yet despite all of that, despite the sort of longevity, despite the extent of the illness, what happens? Jesus heals him. He's healed in the power of Jesus. But he is healed in the power of Jesus instantly. It is immediate. And I would urge you this morning to view that abrupt healing, that total healing, just as a picture of the instant spiritual healing that is available in Jesus Christ, even now and today. And I tell you this, I, I say that perhaps surprisingly to the Christians in the room here this morning. To the Christians. Because you see, it's true, isn't it, that, that as Christians, we can, we can struggle with certain sin at certain times of our lives. You know, there's certain sins that tempt us. Certain sins that we repeat. There's certain sins that go untreated. There are certain sins, even as Christians, that seem to cripple us. And so I would say to you this morning, as believers, please see that that the power of Jesus Christ does not end at healing the physical. You know that the power of Jesus Christ, that it extends to heal your your spiritual walk. So so take the sin, deal with the sin, take it to Jesus Christ. And repent of it, because if you do that, there is healing. And guess what? If you take it to Christ, there is instant forgiveness there. There is spiritual restoration. I'm going to leave you this morning with one last thought. Okay, one last thought. And if I'm honest, I find this uh, ever so slightly frustrating. Okay? Because you see, the, the, the translators of the NIV Bible... They've rendered the word here in quite an unhelpful way. Okay, They've rendered it in a way that might lead us to missing one of the main points about this whole miracle. So please follow me on this. Okay? Think about the reaction of the guy. So the guy's healed. Bang. He's healed instantly. What does he do? Do you see it in verse 8? What we told. The guy jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Right? Jumped to his feet, began to walk. Now, that idea is then repeated, isn't it? For emphasis, the guy we're told of is walking and he's jumping and he is praising God. Now, the translators have chosen to translate that word jump. But perhaps what they should have done is gone for something, because that's a pretty mundane word, the word jump. Perhaps what they should have done is gone for a bit more of an unusual word. Because you see, the word in the original that is used there, the word in the Greek is a very peculiar and very unusual verb. And if they had gone for something unusual, maybe let's say like the word leap then we might, as we're reading this, see and understand 
that this miracle, it is a fulfillment of a specific Old Testament prophecy. You see, in Isaiah 35, we are told that, that, that something amazing was going to occur and accompany the the dawn of the messianic age. And in Isaiah chapter 35, we are told about something that is going to occur, something that is going to happen when the last days come, when the new age come. Now, what is that? What are we told? What is the sign that Isaiah chapter 35 tells us? What is it? It tells us that cripples... It tells us that the lame are not just going to be healed, friends. It tells us that the lame in the messianic age are not just going to be able to walk. It tells us that the lame, the cripples, will leap. That they will jump. And that they will jump for joy. Friends, what we've got here is a miracle that not only shows us the immense power of Jesus Christ available to you and to his people, but it is a miracle like Pentecost that shows to all who saw this and to all who read about it that the last days had arrived, that not only was healing available But spiritual healing is the last days. Spiritual healing was pressing. Let me end with this. Let me ask you this, just as we close. We're reading about a cure and a miraculous healing. Have you been healed by Jesus Christ? Have you had the lifelong and thorough disability of sin cured in his name have you if not perhaps like this man you should look up with expectancy and this morning you should receive through repentance this instantaneous think about it this instantaneous 